Happy Memorial Day to you all. While uh, many of us use uh, this weekend for family gatherings or a long weekend getaway, it actually began as a day to decorate the graves of Civil War soldiers, and it was known as Decoration Day. Uh, after World War I, all the states uh, adopted our, um, the last Monday in May to honor all of our soldiers who had given their lives in the cause of freedom. Those of you who are old like me remember in 1971 that it was changed from Decoration Day to what we now call Memorial Day. Aqaba was a seaport on the Red Sea held by Turkey in World War I. If the British could capture it, they would be able to sh uh, ships to bring in supplies to the Arab army that was seeking uh, freedom from Turkey. But the Turkish army had a huge battery of naval guns above the town, and behind the town was a vast desert called the Anvil of the Sun. And so the defenders believed Aqaba to be safe from any direction. But they were wrong. A British officer named T.E. Lawrence led a force of irregular Arab cavalry on an eight-week journey through the desert. On July the 6th, 1917, they stormed into Aqaba because the naval guns were simply facing the wrong direction. The defeat of the Turkish army happened for two reasons. They did not know their enemy, and they did not have the right weapons. In chapter 6 of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he warns the church against making the same mistake. I'm reading beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray. In all, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for all the Lord's people. So Paul wraps up um, his letter to the Ephesians by warning the church who our real enemy is and how the battle is to be fought. And he begins by letting us know that we will not win this battle in our own strength, but in the Lord's power and strength. He doesn't say, put your armor on. He says what? Put on the Lord's armor. Why? 
He reminds us that we are not in a war with flesh and blood, not in a war with people, not even with human institutions. And the church often forgets this. Over the centuries, the church has too often adopted the ways of the world of political politics and deceit and manipulation um, to get things done. We have even at times used armies and warfare. But Paul lets us know that those techniques will not work because our enemy is spiritual in nature. So what are these evil forces that Paul speaks of? Well, in Romans 13, he refers to rulers and authorities as earthly governments. He reminds the Christians in Rome that these were established up by God and to rebel against the legitimate government may get them into trouble. He counsels them to do what is right, and they will not need to fear any earthly institutions, which would have been a big deal since he was speaking to Christians who lived right in the very heart of the Roman Empire, and Nero was the ruler and was arresting Christians and putting them in jail. But Paul reminds them that even secular governments are accountable to and under the authority of of God. But clearly that's not what Paul is speaking of in Ephesians 6. These are evil and malicious uh, heavenly spirits who wage war against the people of God and the spread of the gospel. We get a glimpse of this in the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel is in a period of intense prayer and fasting, and he has a vision of angelic beings who are fighting in the heavenlies over the control of the nations. And there's an evil being controlling Persia called the Prince of Persia and a good angel named Michael who is prince over Israel. And there's this cosmic battle that is going on. But even though these beings are very powerful, Paul assures us, he assures the church that they were all defeated by, by Jesus on the cross. In Galatians 2.15, he says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In other words, Christ has won the victory over all the forces arrayed against us. That victory, Paul says, is assured. So unlike Daniel, most of us have not had any such direct encounters with, with such evil. And Paul doesn't give us much detail about them. So how do we even know uh, such a force even exists? Well, clearly Jesus believed in them. Uh, nine times he referenced uh, the devil or the evil one in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from evil. You see, I think there's two mistakes that Christians can make. Uh, one is to totally discount uh, the presence of evil in this world. I've had Christians who have said to me, Pastor, I'm, I'm not sure I believe in the devil. But the other mistake is, is to give the devil too much credit and to see his hand in everything. You see, the devil is not equal to God. The devil, in fact, was defeated by Christ at the cross. And so the church's part is to work with God in fighting evil by the power uh, of love. Several years ago, a newly formed church was growing and flourishing with, with unusual success. People were coming and finding faith, and lives were being changed. 
But then quite suddenly it was torn apart by two of their church leaders who turned against the pastor and tried to have him fired. The whole thing happened in just a couple days. And so the bishop and other church officials gathered to take counsel on how to deal with this this mess with this situation. Of course, the natural thing would be to go to the church and sit down with the folks and, and try to settle things through dialogue. But they talk, as they talked among themselves, it became very clear to them this was not your normal church squabble, but that something evil had managed to worm its way in and cause the split. And so they went to prayer. And using their God-given power and authority, they commanded this divisive spirit to leave this church. 24 hours later, the two men who had caused the split, who had caused the problem, called the bishop, and they said, we realize that what we have done is wrong. We have repented, and we want to put things right again. You see, these church officials, the bishop could have argued with those men for weeks to no effect, but once the true nature of the problem was discerned, it was just a question of using the right spiritual weapon. So Paul is warning us, he says, take this seriously. So how do we do this? How do we fight this this battle? Well, verses 10 through 11 says this. Paul writes, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on the full armor of God. So Paul's saying this is a spiritual battle. It requires God's strength. It requires God's weapons. You see, if we fail to comprehend this, we'll often face defeat in our Christian life. For sometimes the problems we face are spiritual in nature, and if we try to solve it with natural methods, either it will not work or it will be only a temporary cure. Uh, the garrison demoniac in Luke chapter 8, was a, there was a man who lived a half-naked and half-crazy life in a cemetery. And the authorities of Jesus' day tried natural cures, like, well, the only thing they knew, chaining him up. Today we might try medication or strap him down to control his behavior. But, but Jesus looked deeper into the, the heart of this man. He saw this was not a, a, an emotional issue or a, a mental issue that required a natural cure, but there was a spiritual problem here that there was this war going on inside of this man that needed a spiritual cure. And Jesus healed him by speaking God's word into his life with the power and authority that he had to command the legion uh, to leave. Well, in verse 13, Paul writes this. He says, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then. <laughs> Do you notice the word that Paul keeps using here? There's kind of a message here, isn't there? Stand, he says. Stand your ground. Don't give up. Three times he says that. Sometimes that is the most important thing that we do is to stand our ground, to not give up, to, to refuse to back down. In ancient warfare, the soldier's ability to stand firmly on solid ground was oftentimes crucial to whether they won or lost the battle. Uh, this would prove true in the Battle of Agincourt in 1413 when King Henry V faced the King of France with 6,000 worn out and sick uh, British soldiers facing the King of France who had some 30,000 troops who were well trained and well rested. 
Henry was trying to get to Calais where his fleet awaited to take him back to England, but they were cut off by the French. And so Henry did the only thing he could do. He, he placed his troops in a narrow field with a thick forest on either side right in front of a plowed, muddy field that had been drenched in a recent downpour. And so when the French soldiers advanced, their soldiers could not find solid footing. They got bogged down in the mud, and more than 6,000 French soldiers were killed, and the English won one of their greatest victories because they were able to stand their ground. In, in Exodus 14, Moses uh, speaks the very same words to the people of Israel at the Red Sea. They, they were so excited. They were so happy. After 400 years in captivity, they are, they are leaving Egypt. It didn't look like there was any way out, but God had made a way. And here they were on their way home. But the Bible tells us that Pharaoh changes his mind. What in the world have I done letting them go from serving us? And so he gathers up his army, his chariots, and, and he leads his army out after Moses and the people of Israel. And the people, they see the, the Red Sea before them. They see Pharaoh behind them, and, and they turn on their leader. And, and they say, why, Moses, did you bring us out here in the desert to die? And Moses, he's wondering the same thing. The Red Sea before you, Pharaoh behind you. There's no way out. In verse 13, Moses speaks to the terrified people, and he says, don't be afraid. Stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Stand still? That's an unusual instruction, isn't it? What about duty? What about personal involvement? What about effort? I mean, this sounds so foreign to our ears. We say what? Don't just stand there. Do something. But Moses says just the opposite. Don't do something. Stand there. Most of the time when we face a, a life or death situation, we go into this full blown crisis mode. The adrenaline kicks in. We quickly size up our, our options and risks and we make a decision. We act immediately. But that's not always the wise thing to do. You see, the Lord was impressing upon Moses and the people of Israel the mammoth undertaking of this. It was too big for them. There was literally nothing, humanly speaking, that they could do. There was nothing in their own intellect. There was nothing in their own toolbox that was going to fix this. God was their only hope. Zechariah chapter 4 says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. See, I wonder if some of us today are trying to fix our own Red Seas by our own power and by our own might. What scriptures would counsel us is when there's no way out, sometimes the best plan of action is to be still to stand firm, to listen to God and allow him to fight the battle for you. Well, in verse 14, Paul gives us a picture of how a Christian dresses for this kind of warfare. And it looked very much like the typical uh, Roman soldier of his day. Remember that when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, he was in a Roman jail. And so he would see Roman soldiers on a daily basis. He knew what they wore and what each piece was for. And he begins with the belt of truth. 
You see, a soldier's belt did basically two things. It protected his midsection, but also it held everything in place. It gave him freedom of movement. So what Paul is saying is that living according to truthfulness will do the same thing for us. Now, Paul is not talking about the truth. There's no definite article here in the original Greek. He's talking about truthful living. He's talking about truthful thinking. He's talking about truthful speaking. He's talking about our behavior. He's talking about honesty. I can tell you from personal experience that lying always backfires. <laughs> you know, We do it sometimes to protect ourselves, don't we? But usually it just makes things worse. Gets us in deeper. Paul says, live your life with integrity. The second piece of armor he calls the breastplate of righteousness. Of course, a breastplate protects your most vital organs. Paul is, is saying, he's, he's talking about righteous behavior, about a righteous lifestyle. He's talking about a, about a life of good works. We talked about this in Ephesians chapter 2. He's not saying that good works saves us, but by doing good works, by living a righteous life, that it paves the way for God's strength to be in your life. It helps defend us against evil when we live our life according to God's standards. And then he says our feet should be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This tells us that we are to be ready to share the good news of Jesus. I think Paul is thinking of Isaiah 52 where Isaiah says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace. So Paul is saying we help defeat evil as we share the gospel. And then he says, take up the shield of faith. That it will protect us against Satan's darts, against the lies, uh, against the deceptions, against the anxieties and the fears that, that evil throws at us. You see, faith is an important weapon in our arsenal. Roman soldiers had two kinds of shields. They had a, a small one for hand-to-hand -hand combat, but they had a, a large one that was four and a half feet tall and, and two feet wide. And each soldier, when they stood side by side, would, would hold up the shield in the front and on top, and it would form this, this wall against the flaming darts that the enemy might throw at them. Paul says, that's what faith will do for us. Faith gives us complete confidence in God to give us the victory. It reminds us, uh, as John said, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And when you and I, when we stand side by side with other believers, we use our faith as a shield. We are able to quench the darts that may be thrown at us. And then he says, put on the helmet of salvation that guards our thinking. Just like a helmet protects your head, salvation does the same thing. That, that sense of salvation gives us assurance in the battles of life, reminds us that we belong to Jesus. That's why I can't give in to despair. That's why I, 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 no matter how bad things may get, no matter how difficult life becomes, God's salvation protects my thinking. It, it keeps me from giving in. When I think about all that God has done for me and, and all that God has promised, even in my darkest days, I can't despair because I know that God is in control. There's no situation that he's not involved with. 
And when I look at a situation that seems way too big for me to handle, I, I can meditate on the fact that God loves me and He's with me. And no matter how bad things seem today, I know because of His salvation, those things are only temporary. And then he says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Remember how effectively Jesus used the Word of God as he faced his temptation in the 40 days in the wilderness. That's why it's so important, church, that we have a, a regular time of being in the Scriptures, that we, we memorize, that we meditate, that we, that we read the Bible. There have been many, many times when I have been struggling with something, and a, a Scripture will come to me for a specific purpose, for a specific situation. But you see, if I'm not spending time regularly in, in the Bible, I'm not going to have this word when I need it most. I've said this before, and I'll, I'll say it again. No one can read the Bible for you. <laughs> Your wife can't read the Bible for you. Your husband can't read the Bible for you. Your children cannot read the Bible for you. You have to do it yourself. Set a time every day to be in the word. It, it will work. It makes a difference. And then finally, Paul says, he says, we need prayer. Verse 18, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasion with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Prayer is perhaps our most powerful and our most far-reaching weapon. You see, the disciples, as far as we know, it's never recorded that, a, that Jesus taught them how to, how to preach a sermon or, or he taught them how to, how to teach a Bible study, but he did give them a class on prayer. We do know that. I mean, think of the spiritual power when, when, all, of us, that, when, when all of us pray together in unity. Think of the, of the power of prayer when a, a prayer request comes across on our prayer chain and, and, and our prayer groups, and suddenly 100 people in this church are on their knees praying for a given situation. There's power in that. It's prayer that saves me over and over again when I find myself struggling against overwhelming odds. And Paul's strategy is simple. He says, pray for everyone. Pray for everything. On all occasions, all kinds of prayers and requests for all the Lord's people. <laughs> there it is. Pray for everything. Pray for everyone. I challenge you this week to make prayer your first resort. Think how things might be different. The first thing you did in the morning when you woke up, before you got out of bed, if you were simply to, to pray, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit today. Help me to, to live a God-honoring life. God, help me to be faithful to you. Think how different things might be as, as you're driving to work and, and you pray for that irritating boss. For those co-workers that are annoying you just prayed a simple prayer like, God, help me to do your work today. Help make my workplace a great place to be. What would happen if before you make a, a phone call, before you, you speak to a client or a patient or a customer, before you walk into a meeting, what would happen if you prayed first? How might your attitude be different if you prayed in traffic on your way home? What would happen in your family life before you arrived and walked in the door if you were to pray for your, your family? 
or if you prayed before you entered a stressful situation. See, here's what Paul teaches us today, that life is a war zone, and every day we're in a battle. And if you don't want to be a casualty, you need to put the Lord's armor on. And Paul reminds us that it's about our character, it's about our faith, it's about how we choose to live our life. And so he says, put on the belt of truth and live truthfully. Put on the... the, the, the Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Live a life of good works. Put, put your shoes on and be ready to go wherever God sends you to talk to whatever person God sends you to talk to. Take up the shield of faith and be ready to, to live each day by faith. Take the helmet of salvation and, and let that give you the assurance that you need. Get into the word and live by God's promises and most of all, pray on all occasions, all kinds of prayers for all God's people. Paul says, do this and you will stand. Because we need to stand our ground. The picture that Paul paints here in Ephesians 6 is it's not really an offensive march. It's not really a, 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 an army moving forward. It's really about a, a, an, an army that's standing firm in the fortress. And the scene is filled with marshaled hosts of the evil one, bent upon dislodging the soul and the church from the one possible vantage, that high ground of life and power, a, a relationship with Jesus Christ, that when assaults come, believers are assured that nothing will be able to move us. So maybe this past week you have seen something that you knew was wrong. You may have seen an injustice where somebody was was wrongly treated. You may have been asked to participate in a shady business deal. You may have been asked to compromise your Christian values. You might have been tempted to give up because the challenge that you're facing right now is just too hard and you're done. Paul's advice is simple. Be strong in the Lord. Put on the armor of God. Stand firm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us today and every day to take up the full armor of God, to resist all the works of the enemy in this evil day in which we live. We pray that you would help us to walk in spirit and in truth and in faith, that we would be clothed in Christ's own righteousness. And may we receive the power from above to stand fast, Hear this, our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.